Well, good morning. We're talking about the concept of seven deadly sins, things that, if you allow them into your life, will derail you and keep you from being an effective human. They keep us from the purity and freedom of a healthy relationship with God and with other people. Sin is real. It's an action and a thought, and it keeps us from being our best selves. Sin promises freedom, but only enslaves your soul. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Some say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is helpful. I may be allowed to do anything, but not everything encourages growth. Now, the seven deadly sins are pride, lust, greed, anger, gluttony, sloth, and envy. And spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the sin of lust today. Now, some of the concepts are probably PG rated, so parents, you may want to watch this later without the kids. Uh, there's no rude words or just adult concepts. Or you can watch with them and have great conversations, especially if you have teenagers. So first, the bad news. Humans have struggled against these sins since the Garden of Eden. And despite personal effort and loads of counselling, even in modern times, humans still struggle against sin. I have struggled throughout my life I still struggle. Perhaps by God's grace, I have won some victories, but some, well, you probably know which of the seven continue to challenge you as well. So now the good news. Following Jesus empowers you to overcome sin. God's Holy Spirit residing within believers can help you build counter defences. Now, you'll still need to apply yourself and often seek help but only God can bring you freedom. The Apostle Paul concluded, because of God's immense generosity and grace, we don't have to dissect and scrutinise our every action to see if it'll pass muster, but the point is not to just get by. We want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. So here's the first clue. Overcoming sin is not just its absence, but its replacement. And notice how the Apostle Paul is saying it's, it's not just about you. Helping others is part of the solution. Focusing on the needs of others replaces sin with a virtuous pursuit, generosity. Now, I'm aware many people, followers of Jesus as well, experience ongoing victories and failures. So my message is not about shaming or guilt or judgment. It's about freedom and release and the challenge that is ours as Christian disciples. Now, I'm not going to try and answer everything either, just to be open about the realities we all face, to name the problem and to give you hope. So, what is lust? It is a strong, unbridled passion of longing and usually a desire for sexual pleasure, although you can lust after other things like money, food, and fame. They might be included in some of the other seven deadly sins. But lust always involves objectifying another person for your own personal gratification. 
It's, it's like looking at another person as just a set of body parts for your use, rather than as a precious child of God with infinite value and worth. Lust is evidence of something wrong in the human heart, and therefore it must not go untreated. If you've committed yourself to following Jesus, your eternal salvation is assured. But even so, if left untreated, lust will derail the benefits of being a disciple. And your God-given purpose of bringing his love and freedom to others will be ruined. The prophet Jeremiah says plainly, God searches all hearts and examines our deepest motives so he can give to each person their right reward, according to how they've lived. Let me be clear. Your salvation is based on your commitment to Jesus and nothing else. You can't earn it, you don't deserve it, and it's freely given by God to those who ask. And none of the seven deadly sins can keep you from eternal life, if we have Jesus in our life. But our reward in heaven is based on how we live and treat others here on earth. We dare not let our hearts go undisciplined and ignore the effects of sin, especially lust. For your information, sexual expression was God's idea, and he gave it to humanity for the purpose of building family, producing children, and to seal the promises couples make to God and each other in marriage. But... As with many things in life, humans often distort what is good and true for the sake of personal pleasure. The world's mantra could be, I before we, except when it's me. You know, distorted expressions of sexuality exist that God hates and did not ordain. And interestingly, today most human beings, whether religious or not, also hate them. I'm talking about things like rape and incest and adultery, pedophilia, prostitution, bestiality, premarital sex, and promiscuity. God puts boundaries around our sexual expression for our own good. But the culture we live in laughs at the notion of boundaries and prefers absolute sexual freedom. Yeah, how's that working for everyone? The Bible writers refer to distorted expressions of sexuality using the word porneia, which broadly means sexual immorality. The Bible says it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. One of the most pervasive modern expressions of sexual immorality is pornography. It is the visual depiction of sexually immoral images and activities. And far from the soft porn girly magazines of the past, 
Pornography in the 21st century knows no boundaries and often involves depraved depictions of sexuality, including many horrific activities involving brutal violence, even against children. So let's get real for a moment. We all feel the effects of sin every day, but lust and its effect derails our families, our workplaces, our friendships, our own hearts. This is why our loving God cautions us. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honour God with your body. Though much has been said recommending sexual freedom in society, like do whatever you want, the reality is that lust damages you. It enslaves you. And knowing this is crucial to overcoming it. The prophet warns us, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. A few years ago, Gateway hosted neuroscientist Brad Huddleston, and he taught us about neuroplasticity and the brain and the effects of screen usage on child behaviour. He, he was ahead of his time. Apparently, the hit of the feel-good hormone dopamine that we get each time we use electronic screens rewires our brain over time to want more, to need more stimulus, just to get the same effect. The biggest area of sexual immorality in our culture is where lust and pornography coexist. Brad says, wherever the internet is regularly accessed around the globe, pornography is a growing menace to human flourishing and it changes the way humanity views sex and gender. So this is not just a personal and individual challenge. It's a social calamity. Don't be naive about it. It's a fight. It's a spiritual battle. And it's equally so for men and for women. Okay. So here's the scale of the problem we're talking about. And these are some shocking statistics on porn from recent surveys in 2020. 30% of all data transferred online is porn-related. There's been a 24% increase in accessing porn since the COVID pandemic outbreak started. Over 50% of people using porn admitting to losing interest in actual sex with their spouse. And porn sites receive more traffic than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined. 90% of teens and young adults are encouraging or accepting of porn when they talk with their friends. It's just socially acceptable. 64% of teenagers seek out porn weekly and hide it from their parents. Now, when Brad was here, we visited a local high school and he asked them, how many of your friends access porn? And most hands in the room went up. 51% of males and 32% of females 
first viewed porn as a teenager. And the average age of first exposure to porn is 12. The church is not immune. In the church, 64% of men and many, many women say that they watch porn at least once a month. And the favourite day for watching porn is Sunday. One notorious porn site is ranked in the top 10 visited sites on the web in the world, with over 42 billion visits per annum. It's a US $120 billion a year industry with over 370 million active websites. And all this at the expense of human dignity. The porn industry thrives on lust, on physical abuse, drug addiction and human trafficking, especially of women and children. Yet our culture, the world we live in, is trying to convince us it's normal and harmless. You've probably heard, hey, it's not hurting anyone. I reckon this is a foolish and self-deceiving statement. The effect of culture and society on us is likened to a fish in water. It doesn't know it's wet. And in this culture, we often are unaware of its effect. Pastor Brian Walsh says, the crisis of Christianity is that Christians by and large accept the society and culture they live in as normal, when we should feel disjointed and out of place, as if our home is elsewhere. If a Christian does feel at home, something is drastically wrong. So, what to do? Well, here's a few things that might help us all move forward. First, we need to clarify our values. You see, the question of life is not who you are. It's not about identity, but whose you are. Willpower and counselling will only take you so far in your battle. And I believe that the ultimate victory is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And to access that divine power, we must first settle in our hearts. Do we trust God? The Apostle Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. He's talking about eternal life. We need to understand the nature of sin, the spiritual death it brings versus the life that comes from aligning with God's values and purposes for us. In Proverbs it says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. The second thing we must do is count the cost. Proverbs says sensible people will see trouble coming and avoid it. I always encourage people to play the movie forward. Imagine what you're doing is on the screen and you can look at it later. Weigh up the consequences for your faith, for your integrity, for your personal guilt. Visualise it when your spouse, kids, friends and parents find out. And then there's the horrific cost of those trapped in this industry to consider. King David counted the cost of his sin when it was too late. We read in Psalm 38 that King David said, There is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt overwhelms me like a burden too heavy to bear. 
Because of my sinful folly, all day long I go about mourning. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of my heart. My friends avoid me. Neighbours stay far away. I confess my iniquity, but I am troubled by my sin. In Jesus, there is always forgiveness, but that doesn't exempt us from the consequences. And the third thing that we can do is confess and get help to acquire purity. Now, the Bible says if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. On the other hand, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them, God won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we out and out contradict God and make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows off our ignorance of God. And a key part of confession is the accountability it brings. None of us walk alone. So start by telling God. I mean, he knows already. This is really about your soul. And then go to a trusted person, not just a mate, but maybe a school chaplain or a counsellor or a pastor, and ask for help and prayer. There are many practical, strategic resources to help you these days. There's online sites and apps for your phone that monitor the web use and send reports to your nominated accountability person who will ask you questions about what is confidentially reported to them, and they can work it through with you. You can also contact Gateway. We're here to help. Contact us via the socials or the confidential prayer form to get more help. God wants you to flourish and be free, to be forgiven so that you're not enslaved to sins like lust. Here's what the Apostle Paul concludes. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with God, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. That kind of sex can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modelled love. For becoming one with another. Or didn't you realise that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for by the death of his son Jesus. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God created you whole. So let people see God in and through your body. I think we need a time of sila, of spiritual reflection. We're going to look at a song called I Am The Man. And this song is written by Greg Ferguson and sung by our own Michael Painter. Greg is someone who has felt the deep pain and shame of sin. In this song, he's not hiding anything, but laying it all out before God. And what he receives in return? Endless mercy of our Heavenly Father.
If you find yourself trapped in the sin of lust, going to God is the best place to begin to be free. There is a way back. Selah.